God reaches out to humanity not as power, the storm, the thunder, the rain, but as love. And not an abstract philosophical love, but a deep and abiding passion that survives all the disappointments and betrayals. Israel may not always behave lovingly toward God, says Hosea, but God loves Israel and will never cease to do so. Welcome to Bible 365, episode 177, Hosea and Ben-Gurion's Memo. I am Mayor Soloveitchik. One of the most interesting and unusual small sentences written in Israeli history can be found in a memo about the precise language on tax forms. In 1953, Prime Minister David Ben-Gurion sent a brief memo to the Tsar HaOtsar, the finance minister, which read, Chatamti ayom al hatsarat ha'oved l'tzorech nichuyei hamas. I signed today regarding the declaration of the worker for the purpose of tax deductions. This subject inspired the Prime Minister to engage in a brief discussion, not of taxes, but the prophets, referring specifically to a man named Hosea, whose words we study today. We turn now to the books of those called the Minor Prophets. Minor not because they were less spiritually inspired, but because their books were not large, and therefore are joined together in one compilation known as Treasar, the Twelve, though these men were not in any way all contemporaries of one another. The prophets that appear early in Treasar prophesied many years before Jeremiah and Ezekiel. They lived and spoke to a great extent about the northern kingdom, warning of its exile before it occurred. Later in Treasar, we encounter those that lived after Jeremiah, experiencing not the destruction of the first temple, but the building of the second. We begin, therefore, with Hosea, who lived during the reign of Jeroboam II, king in northern Israel, with the text focused on the doom descending on that kingdom. And the book, for much of its 14 chapters, has one central theme, that Israel's idolatry is a betrayal of its covenantal relationship with God and therefore is a form of Israelite adultery in its marriage with the Almighty. The relationship between God and the Jewish people for Hosea is that of a marriage. Throughout the Bible, we find metaphors of fatherhood and motherhood utilized to describe God's love for us. But just as prevalent, if not more so, is that of divine spouse. Thus, in Isaiah, in his prophecies of consolation, where Israel feels bereft and abandoned, the Almighty announces, Eza sefer kritut asher shalachtich. Where is the bill of divorce that you believe I have sent? But perhaps the most shocking, astounding, and ultimately inspiring prophetic passage in which the themes appear is in the prophet Hosea, who spoke in the name of God at one of Israel's most sinful moments. The prophet, either literally or in a vision, this is debated by commentators, is commanded by God to take a prostitute as a wife in order to embody the fact that Israel has strayed from God, that Israel has prostituted itself to idols. Chapter 1. The word of the Lord that came unto Hosea, the son of Be'eri, in the days of Uziah, Yotam, Ahaz, and Chizkiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Yoash, king of Israel. The beginning of the word of the Lord by Hosea. And the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take unto thee a wife of harlotry, and children of harlotry. For the land hath committed great harlotry, departing from the Lord. Many of the passages in this book then go on to describe this straying of Israel, not only theologically, but ethically, such as in chapter 4. Hear the word of the Lord, ye children of Israel, for the Lord hath a controversy with the inhabitants of the land, because there is no truth, nor mercy, nor knowledge of God in the land. By swearing and lying and killing and stealing and committing adultery, they break out, and blood toucheth blood. Therefore shall the land mourn, and every one that dwelleth therein shall languish with the beasts of the field and with the fowls of heaven. 
yea, the fishers of the sea shall also be taken away. Israel is compared to a harlot again in chapter 9. Rejoice not, O Israel, for joy as other people, for thou hast gone astray from thy God, thou hast loved a harlot's payment. But, but, toward the very beginning of this book, though it contains largely castigation, God suddenly speaks of a restoration of the relationship between himself and his beloved Israel, giving us what is for many Jews one of the most beloved biblical verses. Chapter 2, verse 21. olam. And I will betroth thee unto me forever. Yea, I will betroth thee unto me in righteousness and in judgment and in loving kindness and in mercy. And thou shalt know that I am God. Preceding this is another beautiful verse where Hosea, speaking for God, engages in a prophetic pun. There are two words in Hebrew that can reference a husband. The first is Baal, but that has other connotations in Hebrew that are more negative. It can also refer in a monetary context, to a relationship of power of one over the other. And Baal, of course, is also the name of one of the Canaanite gods. The other Hebrew word for husband is ish. Ish and isha can be rendered man and woman, but also husband and wife. God therefore says through Hosea, Ayomahu tikri'i ishi velo tikri'i li bali. And it shall be at that day that thou shalt call me ishi, and shalt call me no more bali. In other words, on that day in the future when our relationship is restored, you will no longer call me your Baal, but rather Ishi, my husband. Meaning, you will relate to me, God says, first and foremost, not out of fear, not because I am an all-powerful ruler, but rather out of love for your divine spouse. And I, God says in turn, will no longer punish you as a king, but exist only in marital love with you. I will be your Ish, not your Baal. It is an amazing sentence because it joins God and man and establishes not only what the ideal of faith is, but also what the relationship between husband and wife ought to be. Both faith and marriage are meant to be covenants of love and loyalty. And it is this verse that brings us back to the Israeli tax form. The text of the form had a space for a woman to write in the name of her husband, with its space captioned Baali, meaning my Baal. Ben-Gurion wrote in his memo concerning the precise working of the bureaucratic text as follows, quote, and this is my translation, in the declaration in paragraph 4, it says, Bali slash Ishti, my husband, my wife. Lidati, Ben Gurion added, in my opinion, it should say, Ishi slash Ishti, my husband slash my wife. And Ben Gurion went on to explain that, Bamila Baal, Yesh Mashmaut shall Adnut Vavudazara. In the word Baal, there is the implication of power and idolatry. And he concluded, Tasu Kidivre Hoshea Hanavi, do in accordance with Hosea the prophet. And then he cited this verse. The finance minister, as far as I know, immediately proceeded to ignore this memo. But Ben-Gurion was right. Ishi is a lot more lovely than Bali. And the memo testifies to the rootedness of modern Hebrew in the ancient biblical text and, I think, the miracle of the resurrected language and state that is being made manifest here. As I mentioned in my Tikva Jewish statesmanship lectures, even Herzl, who believed that Jewish will itself could help form a Jewish state, did not conceive that the state would actually speak Hebrew. After all, as he put it in his pamphlet, The Jewish State, he couldn't imagine Jews ordering train tickets in Hebrew. It was inconceivable even to a dreamer such as him. And here, five years after the Jewish state is born, Hosea the prophet is being referenced on a memo regarding tax forms, all in the very same language spoken by Hosea the prophet. How can one not marvel? But of course, even as Ben-Gurion clearly had the biblical text at his fingertips, the miraculous relationship between Israel and God is not something that Ben-Gurion spent all of his time thinking about. 
But ultimately, what this verse truly seeks to teach us is not only about the relationship between man and woman, but also between God and Israel. The Canaanite god Baal, as Rabbi Jonathan Sachs notes, was the god of storms and was worshipped in fear. Here, for us, Hosea, in one fell swoop, defines not only marriage, but also emunah, faith. Rabbi Sachs, to whose essay on this subject, my own talk here is indebted, put it this way, quote, Not only is this a radical way of reconceptualizing the relationship between man and woman, it is also implies Hosea, the way we should think of the relationship between human beings and God. God reaches out to humanity not as power, the storm, the thunder, the rain, but as love, and not an abstract philosophical love, but a deep and abiding passion that survives all the disappointments and betrayals. Israel may not always behave lovingly toward God, says Hosea, but God loves Israel and will never cease to do so. How we relate to God affects how we relate to other people. That is Hosea's message, and vice versa. How we relate to other people affects the way we think of God. Israel's political chaos in the 8th century BCE was intimately connected to its religious waywardness. A society built on corruption and exploitation is one where might prevails over right. That is not Judaism, but idolatry. Baal worship. End quote. Rabbi Sachs is right. And to read the Ben-Gurion memo, therefore, is to marvel at his wonderful reference to Hosea. But it is also to ponder the often overlooked context of the verse Ben-Gurion is citing. The reference is not only to man and woman, but to the way in which ideal marriage between man and woman mirrors the ideal relationship between Israel and the divine. And thus for Jews throughout the centuries, the various rituals of the chuppah ceremony were intended to parallel the central moments of the formation of Israel's covenant. For rabbinic tradition, as we have previously mentioned, the Ten Commandments and the larger set of biblical commandments that they embody are supposed to be seen not only as a series of covenantal obligations, they are the ketubah, the marital document between man and God. For the medieval Ashkenazic sage or mayor of Rothenburg, this is the true meaning of the Hebrew marriage formula pronounced by the husband when the ring is placed on his wife's finger. Behold, you are sanctified unto me, he says, Kedat Moshevi Israel, usually rendered according to the laws of Moses in Israel. But, for Rabbi Meir of Rothenburg, should actually be translated, Behold, you are married to me, as Israel was married to God through Moses giving the Torah to Israel. For every marriage reflects the marriage between God and Israel. And whereas chuppah is often described as an embodiment of the tent of Abraham and Sarah, it also, as we have quoted previously from Rabbi Shlomo Edels, can symbolize the tabernacle in which the divine presence dwelled in the desert, because that was the chuppah of God and his people. As moving as Ben-Gurion's reference to Hosea in his tax memo may have been, there is one Israeli prime minister, as we have mentioned, who truly and most beautifully utilized the prophetic references regarding God's marriage to Israel and concretized them in the way that he lived his own life. It was Menachem Begin who, as we mentioned in our study of Jeremiah, marked his rise to the premiership by applying God's words about Israel to his wife Eliza. I remember the loyalty of your youth, your bridal love, that you followed me into the wilderness. One of Israel's most beloved and famous photographs is of Begin traveling with Eliza together on a plane, and the Prime Minister of Israel, the most powerful person in the country, is seen bending down to help his wife put a shoe on her swollen foot. You will not call me Baali, you will call me Ishi. This is Jewish marriage, and this is the miraculous relationship between Israel and the Almighty, one which Begin himself honored and understood, capturing in his own life the exquisite image that the words of Hosea present to us. This is Mayor Soloveitchuk. Looking forward to learning together tomorrow. Signing off.